0: tennis and bagels podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the Australian Open. And this is uh, our recap episode. And there's a lot to talk about. Uh, we have a new major champion in Yannick Sitter and a lot of other storylines, narratives, uh, and interesting things to talk about. And no better guest to do it than the wonderful Hall of Famer and expert analyst Steve Flink. And you guys always love these chats. So Steve, this is uh, it's great to do this again with you uh, at the start of the new year
1: a yeah, pleasure to be back with you. And and I, I I thought this one actually, from start to finish, I guess we had 35 five-centers among the men to tie a record. U.S. Open 83 was the other. That was sort of symbolic of what a, a great tournament this was and how many memorable clashes we had. So I know you and I will have a lot to talk about.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it was a tournament that really delivered in terms of storylines at the very top of the men's game. With all the quarterfinalists being, you know, seven of the top eight, seven of the top eight to ten best players in the world, and it really sort of delivered on all fronts. Of course, Yannick Sinner continuing his fantastic form since Wimbledon of last year, and really kind of cementing his himself as, as someone who's going to win many more majors. I think. Would you share that view? Oh, completely, completely.
1: I I I think we're heading toward. What I like the most about this is, I know that. I'm convinced that Djokovic will be examining his rival with center very carefully and trying to figure out what he needs to do in the short term. And they will have over the next couple of years some dandies. And obviously in and then at some point, you know, Vac is in turn 37 in in May. And, you know, he certainly I certainly see him playing on through next year and maybe one year after that. But then when looking at the next decade and beyond, obviously we have we can eagerly anticipate the so many uh, incredible battles between Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz. So he set the stage for it now because he was a little behind the goal, although he's a couple of years older than Carlos. He Carlos was the one who got on the board first at the majors and won the U.S. Open two years ago and won Wimbledon last year. And so this was, I think, Sinner's supporters would say this is overdue. So now he's arrived, and I think it, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting for me to observe what and these three guys, along with Medvedev, it's it's just a, an astonishing top four right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. They certainly separated themselves for the rest of the field. And uh, if we look at centers, run all across the board, uh, I guess what impressed me the most is just um, obviously how well he took care of business in the early rounds, because that's always something that for him, you know, we've seen him embroiled in all these five-set encounters. And this time we really saw him kind of head and shoulders, you know, beat the players he's supposed to beat in straight sets. And it wasn't an easy draw by any means. I mean, to get through Hachinov and then get through Rublev. And then obviously the four setter against Djokovic who was off, uh, should be said. Of course, the first two sets he himself said was some of the worst sets of Tennessee's ever played in, in majors. Uh and then and then of course the final against Medvedev where he he really uh, you know took care of Daniil after going down going down two sets to love and stayed so calm and composed and found found a way out of it while Medvedev was uh, also feeling it physically and having spent over 24 hours on court. So uh, I, I look at this as a really positive event for both Daniil and and Yannick. And I kind of don't think of this match for Medvedev like, like the one against Rafa two years ago. I think they're completely different situations here. They are,
1: they are. Listen, he can be excused more easily. It, it, it's strange for us to be thinking and saying that this one is more justifiable than the loss to Rafa. But the difference then was that he had a relatively straightforward march through the tournament. He saved a match point and a five-setter against FAA. But otherwise, you know, it wasn't that taxing. He was fresh physically. Rafa's barely played the second half of 2021. So it made Medvedev a pretty big favorite. And then to get Rafa down two sets and Rafa having to play five hours to beat him, that uh, that that was crushing because he was almost up a break in the third. He was three two love forty, and that set got away. And then rapper really dug in, got his teeth into the contest. Eventually, beat Daniel seven five in the fifth. That was he's he's admitted now. He's admitted more recently that that essentially ruined his the rest of his campaign that year. He couldn't get over that one. I agree. This one. He psychologically he can deal with it better, and you knew I already how to work. You, you're so right to point out to the fact that Sinner was extremely efficient. It's very hard, Vonge, to be losing sets if you lose your serve twice and in six matches on your way to the final. <laughs> you are know, you're, you're somebody's going to have to squeeze you out in a tiebreak, and that, of course, where he could have been in trouble had he lost the second set to Wimbled, and it was five-one down in the tiebreak. That could have gotten interesting, had uh, Roubelat managed to finish off that tiebreak, but that was the only really precarious moment for Sinner along the way. Now, just to return to Daniel a bit, to Medvedev, I'm I'm essentially in accord with you. I don't think he goes away in dismayed or discouraged by what happened because he knew uh, he had really had to earn his place in that final. He'd done it. He'd made two comebacks and two sets to let down, including the semifinal against Zareb. You had three five-setters all together when you add the cash match in only one straight set match, and yet here he was in the first two sets of the final playing, I think, two of the best sets I've ever seen from him, especially given the level of aggression. Missing so little, hitting so hard, pouring up six miles an hour on average. There were so many good signs and and he, it it might have looked desperate at first. People might have looked at him and said, what's he doing? That's not how he plays. But he, he sustained that level really essentially even through the third set, I think, you know, because it wasn't until the end of the third that he got broken at four or five. So, uh, and not for the first time. That was only the second time he was broken. But the, the first first time it was up two breaks in the second set at five, went one, which, by the way, I think hurt him it hurt him significantly that he didn't close that set out sooner for yeah. a variety of reasons, but we can get to that. Bottom line is, my only question is, will Will Medvedev continue to... Obviously, we saw him moving in on the baseline return server a lot, not point in, point out, but he started to do it against, against herkosh He did it at times against Zareb, he did it again in the final. The idea of shifting his position, I think, is great. He needs to be more flexible. He proved to himself that he can do it if he moves in. He can make the returns. He didn't seem to think so prior to that, but I think he learned something. And then the aggressive, harder-hitting style from the baseline, which is, de- which is designed to have shorter points, and it works so beautifully because he caught Sinner completely off guard. Sinner was astonished at what was coming at him, and he started making errors. That he had not made the whole tournament, but understandably so. So I just think, obviously, if Medvedev had come away with a win, if he'd managed to squeeze it out and finish it off in three or maybe in four, where he had a shot in the four two three all break point, he he would have left there feeling just on top of the world. As it is, he's still feeling pretty good. He's been in the last two major finals. The issue is going to be. What happens if he has to play an Alcaraz, uh the, a, a Sinner or Djokovic, any of the other three guys that share the top four level with him, in in the next couple of finals that he might play? Is he capable of beating them? I, yes, he is, but it's still going to be he's still going to be hard pressed to do it because you're looking at Djokovic as a 24-time major champion. Carlos has already taken the two biggest titles in the sport, one each the last few years. Now Sinner, Sinner's on the board, and Sinner has beaten Medvedev now four times in a row. So he has all of that to think about too, but it's very, it's, I certainly, if I'm Medvedev, I'm certainly feeling a lot better about myself now than I was at the end of the US Open when Novak beat him in straight sets in the final.
0: Yeah, that's a really good assessment. My other question would also be, you know, the aggressive versions of Medvedev that we saw, for instance, you know, the earlier, the taking the return super early, cutting off second serve returns, uh, you know, uh, uh, coming forward and volleying really well behind the aggressive. Yeah. And the sort of tennis that we saw him play when he came back from two sets to love down against Zverev in the third and fourth set, where he managed to be the more aggressive of the two in in the big moments, and also the first two sets against Sinner, where he just took it to another level. It was like watching a completely different... It was like watching Djokovic play Sinner in the ATP Finals final. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that was thing. similar. It was. And
1: very similar.
0: So I'm curious to see if, if, he, if he can implement that more often and even as a plan B now in the future to, to help keep his matches more efficient on the way or just trust that part of his aspect game a little bit more because we saw him do this in spades back in 2019 in the summer when he came back from two sets to left down against the Nadal. We saw him change his tactics servant while well, he was kind of a throwback to the old tactical Medvedev and we also saw him keep his emotions a lot more in check these last couple of weeks where he, there was less vendor bending to his honorage. There was more you know, it was a more mature version. It felt like a conscious effort on his part to to really change that and uh, not waste any, any unnecessary energy emotionally. So I wonder if all these things are, are going to help him move forward uh, quicker past the defeat this time than a couple of years ago and if we see this more regularly when he does play the top guys. For instance, next time he plays Alcaraz, you know, and he's, he's taking those returns really early and if he's doing that against, against Novak who's served and volleyed against him uh, repeatedly in their last five or six meetings, especially at the U.S. Open finals. So... Yeah, these are all just kind of interesting wrinkles at Medvedev's game that I.
1: Well, they'll also they'll all adjust. Novak and Carlos and Sinner will adjust too yeah. to what if Medvedev continues to throw this more varied game plan at them. But I think it's great that he was he opened his mind up to it. It's interesting you brought up nineteen because you're right. He was he was very inventive then, and Rafa should have had him. He was two sets up. He was four three in the third. He looked like he had him for a straight set win and. He kind of let Daniel back in, but then Daniel did start to come in much more. He started to show a lot of colors in his in his wardrobe, so to speak. And, and it was impressive. Uh, but I did and I think we continue to see a lot of that in 20. I thought from 21, despite the fact that he won the open, and there was this crowning moment in his career, that he started to get away from some of the ingenuity that you're referring to and yeah. became more rigid and more sort of programmed in how he wanted to play. And now now we see we see a different version. Yeah, and it's it's exciting to see it. And it's certainly not too late in terms of his age, but his competition is going to be fierce, and that's what makes it so much fun to see. You know what can he do, uh, and and what will they do? Because they now will be looking for him. They're going to realize that it, that Medvedev might try try out some some different things now. That he's going to be willing to experiment more and. And move around on his return of serve position and sometimes be sixteen feet behind the baseline, sometimes be only a few feet. And and that he might start really hitting out because he proved to himself, I don't think he was sure going out there, Vaj, that he could he could lace his ground soaks with that much velocity, point in, point out for two straight sets and beyond, and hardly make mistakes. And I think Sinner was stunned by that too. It's like, how could he be he's hitting he's 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 hitting so much harder. Why is he not making a few more errors? They just were not happening. It just shows you the mechanics are very sound, and that's a he, he. He must have. He must have realized that too. So it's going to be fascinating to see how he approaches it. The other one, of course, that it, it will be in the mix. Uh, it's certainly in in the non Grand Slam events. is Hulk Rune. He has a game that can bother uh, Medvedev as well. So it it it's going to be very enjoyable to watch him and the three others as the as the months proceed here and as we head toward the the three majors at, at Roland Garros, Wimbledon, and US Open.
0: Yeah, of course. And now to talk a little bit more about the final in depth, you know, once Medvedev did sort of get our of role and go up 6-3-5-1 and he didn't serve it out the first time of asking in the second set, it kind of did feel like a, a big shift in the match in terms of the complexion. And of course, you know, when when Sinner was serving for it at 5 or sorry, Medvedev was serving for it at 5-3, then, you know, Sinner also had a breakpoint then, and once Daniel, you you kind of saw at the end of that, said Sinner realized like, oh, you know, he wasn't able to serve it out the first time. Maybe I can, I can make this a lot more physical, and I can, you know, it was interesting to me because Darren Cahill, uh, in the during the broadcast, was kind of saying, was kind of telling Sinner to fight fire with fire a little bit and continue being more aggressive and do it, send it right back to him. Whereas I and I have tremendous respect for Cahill as a coach, and he's done wonderful things with with Halep and Sinner and. You know Agassi and and a lot, but I was kind of wondering if at that point he should move back a little bit, put some more air under his ground strokes, make Daniil generate uh, a bit more instead of maybe playing perhaps a bit too one speed at times, if I could put it like that, uh, because Daniil is one. Yeah, I
1: I see your point, ones. and I see your point. I I hear you on that. It, it, listen, it was a, it was a tough choice. I'm sure Cahill was as stunned as as a Sinner at what was going on out there. Not not the fact that his player was. Was struggling so 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 mightily, but the, the, the game plan of Medvedev, tough tough choice to be made. He certainly figured it out. But look, let's go back to five-one in a second. Medvedev has served three love games in a row, heading into that five-one game. He's broken Sinner twice. It was I thought it was very important for him to bear down hard there and get that set over with. Waste no more energy. Waste no more time, and also give Sinner no hope. He, it, it wasn't just that he lost his serve. It was it was actually the, the first bad game I would say that he had played in the two sets. I would classify it that. Way. It was just not he, he didn't have much purpose. He made errors. It was not a good game. You yep. Then okay, fair enough. Center holds. Now you mentioned five three. Medvedev was at 40-30 on yep. the five three. He double faults. So he put himself. He shouldn't have necessarily been in a position to have to save a break point. He managed it. But boy, when he went to his when they went to their chairs at the changeover there after the six-three set, I, I they both were thinking uh, they both both outlooks had changed on each side of the net, and you, you you and I'm sure Medvedev regretted that he didn't put the clamps down as he should have at five-one. That was to say, I can't say that that, that irrevocably changed the match and and that, but it certainly would have helped Medvedev to to have not had to play the extra couple of games and his confidence would have been higher. Nonetheless, that third set, he stayed with him really nicely up to four all. He was getting some pretty comfortable holds. And by now, Sinner is serving better by the way. So yeah. Medvedev so it, it is changing in that sense, but Medvedev is still holding himself. And if I just thought at four all deuce, he was, he was kind of distraught by an errand for him that he made because he drove it long and, it was a ball that he's going to make, I think, eight, nine times out of ten. Then if he can stay in that point, win that point, get to break point, he'd be serving for the match and, and seal the break point. He could have conceivably been serving for the match. And then to, the double whammy was that he had, at, when he served at 4-5, or five, he had 40-30 and he couldn't close that game. So those two games combined were, were devastating for him because instead of maybe being off the court, it's two sets to one and center... Is, has got this growing optimism and and he's feeling like, okay, I, I got out of a jam there. I'm right in this now. I, I think I can do it. And they go into that four set. And I, I by the way, I have to say I thought it was commendable even the amount of time the Medvedev had spent on the court. And it essentially it was as if he had played two more matches than Sinner. It was that many hours. Yes yeah, so six to hours. six hours. So you think about that. That's why I say six hours three hours a match, you could in in essence it was like two more matches. So the four set though, I thought Medvedev did well, despite the fact that he was saving break points in success in games. He could get to three all break point. Yeah. He did a really nice job there. And you're thinking, boy, this could be one of those classic seventh game yeah. of the set being pivotal. And all credit to Sinner for confounding him by not going out wide, which he'd been doing successfully in the ad court. He's got a great wide serve in the court, and he just went buzzing down the tee at 126 miles an hour for the ace so, and then close that out, out close that that was a really crucial hold uh and and i i think that again must have been tough for med to go to that change over thinking that he could have had the break and two holds might have done it but once again we see him when he gets to four or five you know i'm thinking each time that third and four sets when he's getting to four or five okay you, you feel like he's pretty, got a decent chance to maybe at least get it to a tiebreak, And once again, he has 40-30, but this time, Cinder really got him back on his heels the, uh, with a big forehand and then stepped in for the swing volley winner. And and, and he ends up getting the break again. Uh, so it was, to think that Medvedev twice at 4-5 lost his serve, you know, it cost him this, the third and four sets. That was, that was very difficult, I think, because he'd have been having a very good serving day. Fact, fact. I would say it was his best serving of the tournament. <laughs> when you look back at the up and down serving he gave us against herkosh uh, and and how he early on, not the last three sets against Zarev because he served well the last three sets, but the first two he, he got broken three times in the first set, twice in the second. So he was just very up and down on his serve. Not so against Sinner. He was serving quite well, but to have it happen at four, or five, and... Each of those sets was tough. And then I thought the first game of the fifth set was pretty important because Medvedev pushed hard. I'm at 15-30. They go to 30-all. He loses 39-stroke rally. And then another ace, I think a second serve ace from center, to go to one love in the fifth. And you, I had the feeling then that Medvedev was going to be hard-pressed to stay in him. He played, a, he played a very kind of a convoluted, not that not with the same purpose and aggression we'd seen from him when he lost his serve at 2-3. It was kind of a giveaway game. And Sinner took full advantage, served out to 5-2, and then held for the match. A little tension when he served for the match, uh, but he didn't let it get out of hand. He didn't face a break point And wins wins the match with that gorgeous 4-in down the line, the rifle that down the line for a winner, a classic Sinner 4-in winner. And so... I think they, they both took something away from it. I, I, I agree with you on that. They both took something away, but uh, for Medvedev, it would have been the most gratifying tournament of, of his career, probably, and, the, and, the, and and one of the more astonishing majors. If We would have put it up there maybe even higher than, say, Carlos winning his three five-setters at the 22 Open, where he saved a match point at, against Sinner at the U.S. Open, and then obviously he'd already gone five with chillich and he went five with Tiafoe, and he eventually won the final in four. That was fantastic. As was Enberg, the 92 Open, where he had three successive matches down a break in the fifth before beating Pete Sampras in the final. So, I, you know, there've been some some. Phenomenal efforts in that regard with guys winning a bunch of five-setters and still being able to pull out the final. If Medvedev had done that after all of the arduous fortnight that he'd endured, it it would have been fantastic. On the other hand, he uh, I, he's definitely in a better place than he was last September.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good assessment of all the key moments, honestly, in the third, fourth, and fifth, and where the match lived uh, I also thought that Center did a really good job with his backhand down the line at points in the third and fourth set. He also did a really good job when it came to winning the longer rallies against Medvedev yes. and kind of waiting him, waiting him out on those, especially the 39-shot rally that he played. At you know,
1: yeah, and that first test and the fifth, yeah, that well, that's why I mentioned that, and and it was significant. You're right, and it also gets back to your point, Vans. In in some ways, he wanted to show Daniel, okay, I can. I know you're feeling it, so I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to make you feel every long rally. I, I'm I, you're going to know that you you are being punished not by me, but by the length, by the fact that I'm staying in there and I'm going to hang in the rally with you. And I think I can I, I can win these exchanges. And they had many in the match, but that was probably the most important one. And it was a, a kind of a crushing blow to Medvedev at that stage, who desperately wants to go, get up a break in the fifth after losing the hard-fought third and fourth sets
0: yeah, and of course, you referenced the matches that they played at the end of last year with sinner winning those those three in the autumn. And I think those are very key in this those are very key in this match, if you look at it as a whole, because in Beijing, when we saw them play and there was a couple of tie breaks then that sinner won, I felt like that was sinner showcasing his improved variety and his improved sort of court sense with the you know serving and volleying and forehand drop shot. And we saw the yeah. were wrinkles in his game along with the improved serve. But in Vienna and at the ATV finals, we saw him actually really outlast Daniil from the back of the court and trust his yeah. consistency from the baseline. And it didn't used to always be like that with, with Yannick, you know, because you you didn't always used to trust that he'd make those forehands under pressure and that maybe he'd, no. he'd miss, he'd overhead on, on some occasions from the, from the baseline. And I, I feel like that's still longer the case. The controlled aggression is, he's is, is taking that to a whole nother level.
1: He has lunch, and he did, by, by the way, you mentioned Vienna, I thought he also did essentially the same thing in Turin. I, he out-rallied him there. Now, it is a different, it's fascinating, the other thing we must allude to here, Medvedev and all that, So some guys, some, sometimes these players talk about what they want to do, talk about wanting to change themselves. Medvedev did that in, in talking about his demeanor and what he was thinking about in the offseason, controlling his emotions. Aside from... One dangerous moment, by the way, and I'm sure you saw it against Roussevori when he went down 5-4 in the fourth on serve, but he was upset because he knew he was going to have to serve to stay in the match and didn't thought he didn't think he should have been in that position and he was mad that he'd lost the first two sets. So he flung that racket at the chair at the changeover. That could so easily have bounced up and hit somebody in the box seat. It could have been a disqualif- disqualification moment yeah. reminiscent in some ways of, what happened to Djokovic at the 2020 open, but worse in a way because Novak was sort of a casual, not looking careless. Yeah. And uh, uh, where he, he kind of hit a ball. He didn't throw his racket. He, he was smacking a ball that hit that lines person, Lions woman. So Daniel could have had a similar moment here. But aside from that, he he was completely. Un- I thought he did a great job. And when he knew he was upset, he did it, took his bathroom breaks at the end of sets. He did that against Hertogash. That was smart. Gave himself a chance to cool off, not only physically but emotionally. So, I feel like um, he may live up to the the um, hopes that he has for himself. A feeling he's better off to stay calmer because let's face it, he has at times gotten in his own way with with his venting and it has not done him any good and he bickers with his coach his coach we've had this history of the coach leave, leaving matches a few times because he doesn't want to take the abuse and he doesn't need to do that to himself or the people around him and and i i feel like that's the other thing that's going to be interesting does he maintain that composure the rest because again then you maybe that's part of the reason why he did so well and and stayed. So physically strong through the whole tournament, right up until the middle of the fifth cent, you could argue the final. And and I think part of it is he did he wasn't wasting the energy with unnecessary, uh, you know, explosions, verbal explosions, or bannings at his corner.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you, and I hope he keeps that composure because, frankly, I'm mean, we're still seeing the great size of his personality in the on-court interviews and in the in the press conferences and. I don't think he needs that stuff on, on, on the court and it, it certainly doesn't seem to be helping him. No, and he he, he
1: he doesn't. And he he said something like, I'm not saying that I wanna be a better person because I don't know what that means, but it was it was an interesting comment. It was kinda like, No, I just wanna be different. I just I I wanna do myself more justice. He's 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 quite cerebral in his way and, and now it's gonna be a question of Easier said than done. We got it in one tournament, but what if what if some frustrating things start happening in Indian Wells or Miami? Will he handle it as well? well? Well, we'll find out. But I think he he saw the benefit Sponge, in this tournament of 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 being able to contain his emotions, and 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 let's hope that he can maintain that.
0: Yeah, of course, and and it seems to always be the case whenever he plays Zverev that in the in the crunch moments in the uh, you know, when it always comes down to this deciding tie breaks or the final set or in many cases like Acapulco, I mean, Indian Wells and Monte Carlo last year, for instance, their matches and other other situations, it's just you back to Neil to be a bit more clutch in those in those moments and situations and he kinda, you know, proved that again against against Vero who was so close to winning this match and essentially had two serves on his racket at five four in the in the yeah, he did. and also two sets of love and you know, there were so many precarious situations here for Daniil, and I thought he handled it very well, of course, and then we saw Zvere fade away physically, understandably, in the fifth. And Daniil played a smart set then. So what do you sort of make of this rivalry? Because they've had so many matches, and only this is this their first one in a major. Yeah,
1: was... Yeah. no, I, I I see it. I agree with you. From his end of the court, it's been commendable because he won five out of six last year. could easily have been a split, and you mentioned, as you mentioned, Monte Carlo. I mean, you know, he had his opportunities. He should have won a couple more times, in my view, Zeraf. But, but Daniel was was tremendous under under duress.
0: Yeah.
1: But from from Zara's end, I think you probably heard him. He he was kind of ma- he was making some comments in advance of this contest, basically trying to say that a lot of those matches last year, he was working his way back to the top of his game. He, fair enough, because of what had happened to him the year before at the French. And but unfortunately, this was almost a carbon copy of a lot of those other matches where he put himself in a position to win i would i wouldn't have thought it would have happened from two sets up from two sets to one maybe but to have to to have managed to kind of squeeze out the first set where they had five service breaks and and get tuck that one away seven five and win a relatively easy second i i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't have thought it would get away from him. and as you say you know then we go to you look at how close he was. The third set, Medvedev is serving at three four love thirty. And you know, if if Zarev can break him there, he's serving for the match. Then okay, a seven-four tiebreaker that was locked at four points all. Then we go to the fourth, go to that tie. And again, there was a four-all love thirty for Medvedev. He got out of that. But we go to the tiebreaker, and that's where what you're alluding to is that a double fall from Medvedev gave Zarev the chance. Just be serving at five four, and at five four, not much he could have done because Medvedev stepped around and did an excellent inside out forehand that set up an easy, easy forehand winner off the next shot. But at five all, uh, Medvedev was the first to admit some good luck. He he moved in closer. He was uh, on the return. but He had to go to that chip forehand return that barely made it over the net, and poor Azarev. just there was no way he could make a play. And that was a stunning moment and one of great fortune for Medvedev and bad luck for Zarev. And then Medvedev serves an ace to take the set. And you you did have the feeling then that it was over and and it was. You know, it was a pretty clear cut this set. But I, I have to be critical of, of Zverev because I, I this happens too often you think back to the twenty twenty US Open race two sets up against Dominic Team and he serves for the match in the fifth and Tie break is incredibly close, but he just doesn't seem to really, it too often he doesn't be seem to be able to get it done under pressure. And I wonder whether this is just gonna be a career long uh issue for him, whether it's it's something he'll never fully value. I hope I'm wrong. I think he's so worthy with his game of winning a major or two, but I'm not sure he's got the psyche for it.
0: Yeah, I have the same doubts about that as you. Um But uh, in terms of... I guess let's talk about the other semifinal with Djokovic and Sinner, of course. Um, Yeah, Djokovic just comes out really, really flat. Makes 29 unforced errors in the first couple of sets. Sinner playing well, but nothing spectacular. Kind of within himself, composed, you know, serving great. And Djokovic plays a very good first point of the match and you're thinking, okay, game on. But then the next... But then the entirety of the last two sets, Djokovic never really found his range. And of course, this was a day match... And I'm sure the wind played a factor more so than the heat in this situation, but nonetheless, it was very strange to see Djokovic have like no spark, no intensity, uh, and, and let that linger for for those two sets. And he kind of found his level in the third, but in, in terms of his serving, but to see him never get to break point was was certainly near, certainly very jarring.
1: All valid points. It was perplexing, to to say the least. It was perplexing. I've seen reports on the internet. Today, you never know what to make of this because people put this stuff out. They don't even know who they are. Somebody's saying that he might have had it, that even though he'd been battling a virus up until then, that he might have gotten a flu overnight leading into this match. I don't know. I don't I don't buy that necessarily, but I definitely think something was wrong. Yeah. I'm because as you alluded to, it wasn't just that he made the 29 unforced. It wasn't just that he never got to break point. He was clearly not getting the better of those shorter points. Sinner was out hitting him, but Novak, until the third set, we didn't see him really extend some of the rallies in a way that was beneficial to himself. And I thought that finally Sinner, that was the one set where he had more unforced errors than Novak, because in the first two, it was 29-8, to but 15-13, Sinner versus Djokovic in the third. And part of that was that Djokovic settled down, backed up his serve, and started, opening up the court and orchestrating points the way we have grown accustomed to seeing him do. And he wasn't able to do it on center serve because the returns just weren't sharp enough, so he couldn't get into those. But on his own serve, he was able to do that. And then, of course, rescued himself from match point down in the breaker. Had a little bit of luck there, but he played a good breaker, and and that could have gone either way, but he won it, age six. And I still didn't think he really believed he was going to win, and we saw him lose his serve from 40-love at 1-2 in the fourth, which was, at that point was like the final nail in the coffin. But something was fundamental. You summed it up well. Sinner was solid in those first two sets. He only made eight unforced errors combined in the two sets, but he wasn't being tested. He wasn't being pushed, it, it, and, and you kept waiting for Djokovic to either get really angry or... At least get animated in some way. And it happened late in the second he tried to get the crowd a little involved. He was trying to avoid going down two breaks, which didn't happen, as by the way. But it was, it still was not the Djokovic we know who, with the sense of urgency, I didn't see the sense of urgency. It was just slipping by and somehow, and you could see the kind of hopeless, helpless expressions on his in, in his corner with Goran Ivanisevic and the other people in his camp because they didn't feel like there was anything they could do to. Pull him out of this predicament in the state of mind that he was in. So, didn't surprise me that the fort that he didn't win the fort for two reasons: that Sinner was so composed himself and not panicking and still serving, still holding comfortably, not facing break points, and that Djokovic just didn't look. He still didn't have that look like, okay, I've got this now. You know, you are there's no way you're going to stop me. He, he, that that sort of defiant streak in him was missing. Uh, the spark was missing. So I do think, although that report seems weird because he didn't look like he had an all-out flu, that he would because he he moved okay, not his best, but it wasn't terrible. He wasn't calling for a trainer. He wasn't looking drained at the changeovers, but he was listless. He was, he just he just had no. The, the, the energy and the inspiration combined that we usually see from them in these big matches, this, you would have thought that this was some kind of a second round match in in Dubai. Uh, it just was was shocking in that regard. And Sinner sensed it, Bunch, and I, that's where I give him high marks. He sensed it and didn't let it kind of distract him. It was almost like he was saying, wow, something's a little wrong with Noback, but I'm not going to worry myself with that. I'm just going to do my job, which he did very, very well. I, I don't understand why at 58% first serve percentage for center that Djokovic couldn't have had more openings and more chase, should have been able to do more. We, the depth on his returns was not up to normal, so certainly on first serve returns, but he didn't even do his, as good a job as usual on the second serve returns. And When service games of your opponent are flying by that quickly and you're barely getting to deuce, maybe a couple of times at deuce. then. That that just created that that just put him under under a, a, a kind of pressure he didn't need and and I, I just think it, it, it everything sort of spiraled on him everything got out of hand and he uh, he did well to take the set at least he saw he, salvaged this. he could easily he was down break point at the start of the third it could end have ended up being a one two and four match which would have been even harder to take but on the other hand uh, he, he doesn't get the, there's no real encouragement in losing six one, six two, six seven, six three, you know, you still feel like you were soundly beaten and given the fact that the two matches that he lost to Yannick late last year in that twelve day. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank finals of turn so so convincingly, but lost a tiebreaker in the third to Sinner in, in the round robin. at turn. And then when they played the last time in the, of the year in Davis Cup, uh, Sinner was serving at 4-5, love 40 in that final set, triple match point down. So it's hard to understand how you could go from that, where clearly he showed he he had the ability to beat Novak and, and close matches to something like this that was just... Completely one-sided for two sets, and it, to me, it was just the willpower, determination, professionalism of Djokovic that that enabled him to salvage the one set. Uh, the, the, his pride kicked in, and he didn't want to leave the court straight set loser, and he didn't. But that was that was sort of a, a small small potatoes for him. There wasn't any. There wasn't any large satisfaction in just getting the one set. So I, it was it was confounding to me uh, that that he could. Have come out and started like that, and not it, not just a bad first set. I could see that it happened in the U.S. Open a bunch of times in 2021 before he lost to Medvedev in the final. But then something kicks in by the start of the second, and you you feel like he's starting anew, and he's put that behind him, and he's determined to get his to get hit himself, but uh, drive himself into the match. It just did, it didn't come close to happening here, and you can't spot Sinner a two set lead like that. It was it, it I. I it, it, it was asking too much to come back from two sets of love down against a 22-year-old who's this good, who's going to be a contender for number one in the world this year. Uh, you, you can't give him that kind of leeway.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it was also surprising to see when it was 1-2, you know, and 40-love and he tries right. drop shot. And it was a very good drop shot. Center got to it and countered it with a really nice forehand re-drop angle of his own. And then after that, Djokovic is... But they gave away the rest of the game with the uh, with unforced stairs born a Rose they, so, they did that was the- they did and that' and that's that was profiles that he
1: that he didn't believe I mean again you would have thought by 40 30 or deuces you, you would have seen that had a that look that that sense of anger or defiance or or uh the resoluteness it, it it wasn't there the game just slipped away very and and that's again that's how I like him to let Big moment like that where you have to keep holding in the fourth and at least see if you can get into another tiebreak. But he knew he, I, I think somewhere deep down, he just knew he didn't have it that day. And he uh, was good in the press conference afterwards at talking about, uh, you know, explaining about the the wrist and the and the virus and, you know, and, and not using them as, as real excuses, but that he had never felt like he, the point being, he never felt like he was at his best in this tournament. Okay, but we've seen that. We have seen that many times where he hasn't necessarily been at his absolute best in the earlier rounds. He's dropping sets. Uh, you know, US Open last year, he had the five setter down two sets to his countryman, Jera. Jer- how do we, How do we- give me that pronunciation again. Jera. Jera, yeah. Jera, I always want to use the D. Jera has him down two sets. He wins that in five. We've seen isolated days. And then he snaps out of it and he gets back. I did think after the first two rounds here, Vonch. That he uh, he played nicely against Echeverry, uh, you know. I guess three, three, and six, and you know, wasn't never looked like he was going to give. He, he was very comfortable on serve and probably could have closed it out. Sierra plays a good tie break to end it, and then the the two love sets against Manorino and a straight set win, and finally Taylor Fritz, which was in very extreme heat. Uh, where, so it was kind of understandable to me that the first two sets he was uh, he was looking a bit. Wobbly at times because he hates those ex- exceedingly hot days, and it was better for him when they got into the evening. and In the last two sets, he looked better, but I, I certainly didn't think he played a bad match. It's just that he, there were fifteen great points that eluded him over the first two sets, and would have made life a lot easier if he could have if he could have converted a couple of those along the way. Uh But. I still felt coming out of the Fritz match that he, he would take it up a notch against Sinner. And I think most of his most of his longtime uh admirers thought the same thing. And I've got to believe that he did. So the mystery is what why was he so far off? Not that he lost, but to lose that way and why was he almost unrecognizable those first two sets?
0: Yeah, I thought after the the third and fourth set against Fritz that you know, he would be able to sort of flip that switch and raise that level. 100. And yeah. those first two couple of sets at least more competitive. I mean, it is worth noting, of course, he had the wrist issues coming into the tournament as well, and that was definitely a factor in his loss to Diminor at the United Cup, and we saw it bother him a little bit along with the cold and sickness at the early rounds, and his forehand looked very shaky against Brismich at times, and especially against Popperin, where, you know, he almost went down two sets to one, but like you said, I mean, we've seen him drop sets early on in, oh, yeah. in first weeks before, and... It happened like. But from- I also thought.
1: And- I, I thought in those first couple of rounds that there was something still going on with the wrist. I really yeah. did. I didn't like the way he was hitting his forehand in those first two matches. Yep. Something there was something a bit inhibited about it, and you felt like there were times he could have unloaded it and unleashed it, the way he has done so well the last few years. And there was a certain caution and certain inhibition. So I felt like that was part of what was going on in those two matches. But then I felt like from very on. Yeah. physically i thought physically i didn't see any signs left of the wrist being an issue and he was i thought the forehand was much better and uh yeah i thought he was perfectly positioned to peak and that they'd have another great match i mean obviously sinner was in in sparkling form himself the whole tournament but uh it it, it was it was it was quite quite remarkable the way it unfolded those two sets and i'm sure he'll be analyzing it trying to figure it out I certainly think he'll come back with a real... When you've lost three of the last four to a key rival like that, you really want to make a move. You know, he'll want to sort of get his get back at him, not in a personal way, but he'll want to reestablish himself in the rivalry and say, hey, you know, th- don't think you've got me now because you don't. And it'll be really interesting to see how he plays and, and how how well his nerve holds up whenever they next meet, whether that happens to be Indian Wells or Miami or somewhere in the Clay Court campaign or Roland Garris, who knows what, if they could meet a bunch of times conceivably, but I do think it's very important for Djokovic to kind of get back in there. I thought it was important when he beat him in the finals of Turin because he didn't want to lose to him twice in a week. And then a bit jarring when he lost Davis Cup, but it was just such an, it was almost freakish. It was phenomenal what Sinner did, but how many times could Djokovic lose to anybody uh, when he's got triple match point, you know, and and, uh, even even a big server. So I, I feel like now it's reached a kind of a, a a crucial juncture for him and it'll be really I, I think he'll respond well. I mean, I think he now will start to treat Sinner in his mind the way he started to treat Carlos in his mind last year, where he he began to look at Carlos as a really key rival. And he took the he took he didn't like losing that Wimbledon final and he fought back to win that that stupendous clash in Cincinnati where he saved a match point and eventually won it in a thirds at tiebreak, then beat him again at the end of the year. But you could tell how much respect he had for Carlos. He now surely has the same kind of respect for Sinner, and has to look at Sinner as being on exactly the same level at this point, maybe above, and look at him as his, maybe right now, as his foremost rival.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with all that. It'd also be interesting to see what Sinner does on clay, because uh, we haven't but no, we we have seen him make a rolling arrows quarterfinal in twenty twenty uh, and play rough really tight. And last year he was yeah. he was at Monte Carlo and he's certainly very capable on the clay. But we just haven't seen it for a full, full stretch. yet. and I assume he'll have he'll be pretty successful on all surfaces because his his game just feels uh, that well rounded right now.
1: I completely agree. There's no reason why he can't uh, do better on clay than he did this past year and uh, the last couple of years. And no, I think I it's not necessarily going to be his best service but there's no reason he can't perform well on clay but <laughs> certainly the upcoming hardcore tournaments he's gonna he's gonna be a tough man to beat indian Wilds and miami and certainly when again back on the grass he showed at wimbledon what he could do there getting to the semis losing to djokovic and then there'll be a long stretch on hard courts over the summer right through the u.s open and yeah. indoors in the fall so there's even if he doesn't have a great clay court campaign and I, I think he will do do okay. But even if he doesn't, I think he's gonna do so well everywhere else that that will uh you know he'll compensate for it if that's the case.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then of course we still have to talk about Alcaraz, who, you know, yeah. got to the quarters. And uh, you know, obviously his first time being in Australian Open as a as a top contender in a couple of years because he missed it last year due to injury. But uh for him, you know, he, he looked so good against which in the fourth round there and you know, I was kind of anticipating that he would carry that form on uh, into the quarters against Zarev. I was expecting a certainly a much tougher match than when Zarev and Carlos faced off at the US Open, of course, because Zarev was still feeling it physically after the match against Sinner, a uh, tight five, physical five-setter that those two had there. But in in this match, I was sort of surprised by it. Was it? I was, also, I was sort of surprised by it, both things happening at the same time in a way kind of similar to the Novak match in terms of its trajectory. And... And how it went the the first couple of sets, but this time it was of just serving lights out, like 85%. Wow, you said it.
1: Yeah, your the key. he was he was serving lights out. Carlos couldn't get on track. Carlos was a bit wild off the ground at times. I can understand why he. he and and the thing was that Zarev was so good also from the baseline. The, the the great serving gave him a little extra confidence in his ground game, and he fed off of Carlos's pace. His forehand was about as good as I've ever seen it for a match of that length of four sets. And it was particularly good going down the line, approaching down the line off that forehand. He just had such certitude when it came to the forehand. Yeah, But you're right. Let's get back to Carlos. You're right in the sense You still don't expect to see him lose two sets, one and three. He had his opening in the middle of the second set to go up a break, and he couldn't take it. And then Zara ran out that set. Carlos did a wonderful job of hanging in the third from 5-2 down. Zarev Sur sword at 5-3 and two aces. Two aces took him to 30-all. I thought he might end it there, but Carlos didn't panic. He got the break and he held from 15-30 and they go to the breaker. And Carlos played a just a, an extraordinary tie break from two, from after losing the first two points. He won seven points in a row, five of them without right winners. There wasn't anything Zarev could have done about that, but that it was a good effort from Zarev after the exchange breaks at the start of the fourth to run out the match from 3 4 because at 3 4, he had 40 love and Carlos got it back to Deuce. It was dangerous. Zarev managed to fend him off in that game and then closed it out. Yeah. Yeah. It was it, again, it was important. I think it was important for Carlos. It feels a little better than if he'd been blown out 1 3 and 3. Yeah. But, uh, he was expecting more of himself. He lost to Zarev. You and I had talked about it at the time. I remember we were texting. It's a good match he played against uh, that Zarev played against Carlos, the opening round robin match yeah. in Turin, and he beat him in three sets there. That gave Zarev some confidence, I think. And then historically, now he's done quite well against him. And I think Carlos has great respect for him, but it, it, it was tough. You're right; it had been a fairly easy run. One tough match that went to seven, six in the fourth. He did beat Keksmanovich easily, but the draw, I don't know, maybe he wasn't tested enough. Maybe it would have been good for him to play Tommy Paul instead of Keksmanovich because we did think we were going to get that match. Now, I'm not saying he wouldn't necessarily have beaten Tommy, but let's say he played a really good four-setter with him and wanted It Might have carried him into there feeling more ready. We'll never know. But I, 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 what I do know is he's going to snap out of this. Uh, I just don't have any doubt because he's so gifted and so determined that he's had a tough s- struggle here since not winning a tournament since Wimbledon. But we've seen him the epic with Novak in Cincinnati, the semis of the U.S. Open where Medvedev played a, a, a sensational match by, and and which was Im- Im- impressive given that Daniel had lost so badly to Carlos Indian Wells and Wimbledon. So okay, but it was still a semi, and five, semis of the year-end championships. He loses to Novak, and quarters here. So he's he's not that far off. I'm convinced he'll find the winning formula again pretty soon, and he'll he'll be determined to because he was he was winning tournaments left and right prior you know, through Wimbledon. Now I thought he might end up end up winning eight to ten tournaments for the year the way he was going, and it didn't happen. But I do think it's just a matter of time. Also, Rod, he played with some injuries. He might have come back a bit too soon last fall I had that feeling uh maybe he shouldn't have played Paris I could be wrong but I think there's been different factors where he has not maybe he hasn't physically 100 percent of times and definitely right now mentally he's he's a little off his mental game too because he's got an interesting personality and he can get very caught when he when things are going right he can get very cocky in the best sense of the word where I see sinner the same way. When, they, when they're at the top of their games, you know, they, they there's unmistakable confidence and conviction in what they're doing and they don't care who's on the other side of the net. Carlos will get that back, don't you think? And soon.
0: I think so too also because he's going to be going back to South American clay and sort of I think that will also maybe help him construct points a little bit better because also, you know, yeah. it takes away not having a great day on your serve. Like also as well, first yeah. you know, serve doesn't become as important. Uh, and also, he's going to be determined because he he won all those tournaments last year, and he went forty-seven and four from from February all the way till the end of Wimbledon. So, yeah, right. And he's yeah, I, I I definitely think so because he isn't that far off. At the same time, you know, he's got work to do and stuff to work on in his game, and it'll be fun to sort of evolve with the. Uh, it'll be fun to sort of watch him evolve along with Sinner and and Djokovic and Medvedev. But I guess. Oh, well.
1: I think the serve, Avangie. Uh,
0: you're right. That
1: pressure, that layer of pressure, is removed when he gets back out on the clay because it won't be as important. But I think when he returns to the hard courts, I like to see him serving bigger again. I like to see. I I, I think that he and, and Juan Carlos need to address that because there's some matches. I mean, like the Zverev match, where as great as Zverev served and played, because he was magnificent uh, both on serve and from the baseline. Carlos needs to do a better job of holding. You got to at least literally hold up your end of the bargain and stay with him. And he got blitzed in the first, and you know, then and again in the second, lost the serve a couple more times in the fourth. It's like it's just it. You at this level, you can't get away with that. I I don't think I I don't think he can at least. And so I think that needs to be addressed. You know, I'd like to see him get back to the point where it's pretty hard to break him in a match where you know. He loses, you know, maybe in a four-set match, he only loses his serve once. I'd like to see more of that uh, more dominance on serve, more easy holds, and and fewer breaks.
0: Yeah, for serve, the first serve efficiency is like the one thing you even point to in Ocasis' game that's kind of lagging behind the rest of it. Um, and and right. also, and also, you just like to see him be a bit more patient and rely on that superior speed and athleticism, you know, that that he possesses, and he's just such a shot maker and entertainer, and he's got this like you know, flashy way of playing and then sometimes perhaps that gets in his, his way a little bit, but it's also what makes him the great player that he is. So
1: Yeah. The only thing I would change what you just said is I wouldn't use the word perhaps. I think it definitely does. But I and I but I
0: think he understands it. He has this But he had this really great balance at Wimbledon, for instance, where I thought he was saying yeah. something better. And he yeah. was being more efficient. And you know, he's he had this ability like against Djokovic in the final to get those returns back into play and you know, win some of those longer exchanges and trust his legs more and rely on that part of his game because he's so fast. And so it's... No, that was a big factor, in Wimbledon, that, that after the
1: first set, when Djokovic beat him so so comfortably, 6-1, that he, yet yeah, he started getting many more returns back in play. But that was because he didn't try to do so much with it. Yep. And he didn't worry about uh, hitting, you know, giving giving eye candy to the crowd, so to speak. Exactly. And and that's always been kind of he's been susceptible to that, and it's kind of an endearing quality in some ways that he wants to please the crowd that much. But obviously, the first priority has to be you know I'm out here to win. There'll be plenty of time to make the highlight reels, and I'll make my automatically because of my shot making capabilities. I'll pull some of those off, with, and that'll be those will be nice moments. But I've got it. I've got to pay attention to the bread and butter too, and some of it has to just be the basics and. The percentages and doing what's going to help me win, but I, I again, I think in the back of his mind, he knows that, and he'll rediscover that because we saw some of that. I saw plenty of that from him when he went, and, and not just in Wimbledon last year, but in that 22 Opens. Yes, difficult matches, difficult moments, but when he had to buckle down, he did, and I'm confident that he'll he'll sort of rediscover the winning formula soon enough.
0: Yep, uh, that's a good way of putting it, I guess couple of other players i wanted to mention taylor fritz he had a great tournament uh, i mean a little bit dangerous in his first match against facundo diaz acosta where he like turned his ankle and then you know right That was another one of those oh no taylor's gonna lose in the first round of a major again but now that's back-to-back majors where he's made the quarters and this time he really equipped himself nicely against novak and many of those break points came up with really brilliant shots on on his backhand especially and those. Th- that's some of the best Two sets. I think that's the best he's ever played against Djokovic. I think so because oh, I don't think you can take uh, the 2021 match and uh, and say that was better than this one.
1: Uh, I think no. You could, the only one that came close to this was Turin in the in the semis. Yeah. At the 22, where he took him to two tie tiebreaks. So it was a pretty well played too, but this was better. This was even better. And and uh I agree. Second straight quarter, high quality. Actually, what I think happened was that because he paid the price for the fact, you're right, that on the break points, he was he was phenomenal at times in his ability to just sort of forget about the pressure and go for it. And his back end, with, he was surprising Djokovic by coming up with these big shots, because Novak thought it was going to be enough to just play a nice deep return down the middle and work the point and coax some kind of an error, but he was, that was not happening. So he fends off those 15 break points across the first two sets, and it was almost every other service game that that uh, Taylor was under this kind of duress. But then by the time we got to early in the third, I think he was physically spent. I think Novak had, you know, he had worn himself out. Novak had worn him out because I think there was a big difference in his legs and the quality yeah. of his play. And and then Djokovic also stepped his level up. But I agree. Listen, he also beat Tsitsipas. It was a good win for Taylor. And, yeah. and so I feel like, I feel like, this was vindication for everything that's gone on with him the last couple of years and any of us who might have been saying that maybe he had, his peak work was was done. and no, I think at this point I see him sort of hanging around the bottom of the top 10. If he made a move higher, all I, I give him I, w- I, w- I would be uh, very impressed. but I certainly think he can hold his ground because that was that, that was a more impressive major than the U.S Open last year by far.
0: Yeah, by far. And then he's got the sport hand drop shot as well, which I like that he's using that a lot more because he's nice. up coming forward. But I like the the addition to that as well. And he's, he's of course got the fighting spirit. The backhand is great; one of the best ball strikers. Obviously, he's never going to be an elite mover, but he's done the best that he can in terms of maximizing those abilities as well. And I love the Saito matchup for him. You know, for him, it's a it's a good matchup just because he can target that. It's a kind of an easy easy kind of game plan for him to implement in his mind. He might not always win, but I but I think. You know, he definitely showcased that, uh, that. That was his first time ever beating a top-ten player in a major, so.
1: Right. No, I was impressive. And and, and Sitsubas had been finding some form after the yeah. first round. And so, coming into it, I was giving him a slight edge because I thought that he was years back and it's always been his best major and he's the yeah. runner-up last year. And So, I was giving him the slight edge. And Taylor ended up winning fairly comfortably in the four sets. It was a great effort. So, yes, he should come away feeling very good about himself and ready to, ready to, to uh, l- move on with the rest of the year successfully. And I could see him even having slightly better results than he did in 2023, based on this form. And you mentioned the mobility. I, 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 for him, that's as well as I've ever seen him move. And I think he's also getting more aggressive on his back and missing fewer forehands. It, his level was quite high.
0: It was, it was for sure. And of course, we're still waiting for that grand slam breakthrough for Hogaruna. He's showing it in, be- in best of three first half of last year all the way to Wimbledon, then got hurt with his back. And then, you know, we, we didn't really see him put it together again until, you know, a couple of good showings in the Paris and ATP finals. And, you know, this one this is just kind of show that he's got some work to do still, like, you know, physically and mentally, just too many ups and downs and dips in terms of his his overall level and came up against a really inspired opponent in Arthur Kazaa in the second second round. But you do sort of wonder, is he going to be able to manage his emotions and nerves uh, and physic- and the physical issues that we keep seeing him, him have in, in other in the other three majors uh, this year, or if it's just he's got to take his time to grow, just like Sinner, and maybe in two or three years he'll be winning a major.
1: Yeah, but we, I think Franch, I always felt that Sinner, he's had some moments in the major, some disappointing performances in the majors up until Wimbledon last year. But I never worried. I never worried too much about him in best of five. I still worry a lot about Runda, yeah, and yeah. he another example and it it, it's he ended last year as you know he was playing much better tennis once becker came aboard and and you know he played a great match he played really quite well against both novak and sinner even though he lost those matches in turin i i thought he'd recovered the form that made him such a standout in the first half of the year so and i still think he can get that back and no reason to, in the Indian Wells and Miami and, the, and certainly on the clay that he can't do some great things again. But I'd like to see him be more of a factor. I mean, he did play well at Wimbledon to get to the quarters, and then Carlos took care of him pretty comfortably and straight. Didn't play a a, a terribly good match there. Yeah. Uh, but I I I that was that was almost an exception to the rule. I I'd, I'd like to see him. He should be somebody that's a threat at the majors right now. Yes, he, he has not yet shown us that, but he should be. So it's going to be very revealing what he does in the last three majors of this year. Oh, somewhere along the line, he's at least in a semi.
0: Yeah, for sure, because now he's see Yannick win and, and Carlos win, and you better believe that he's you know gonna want to be getting up there in terms of them and professionally, of course, uh, you know, with those rivalries. Uh, oh yes, I agree. I agree, and he
1: sees himself, you know, in in the same room as them, right. <laughs> among the elite, but he's got to prove it now. And and the ability is there. I've, we've seen him play fantastic best of three set matches, but I I want to see now, I was disappointed in this one. I thought we'd see more from him in Australia than we did. And hopefully at, uh, across the coming months, he's going to he's gonna uh, figure some things out and Becker could help.
0: Yeah. And of course, speaking of figuring things out, my God, has Arena anchor gone through a really, really great transformation the last couple of years. I mean, from double-fold left, right, and center at the start of 2022, and, you know, serving underarm to now being displaying this controlled aggression, you know, on the biggest stages, and so consistent in the last six majors, getting to the semis every time, and putting herself in these positions at all four majors. And, I mean, you have to say right now, this this kind of level, I guess, you know, particularly the, the impressive match being the one that she played against Coco and reversing that result at the U.S. Open, but also just the way she barely dropped gains in a lot of these matches and, you know, was so impressive in the final. And what did you sort of make of her two weeks here in Melbourne because it was really dominant?
1: You summed it up beautifully. I I, uh, I thought the moment of truth, you might say, was that what was the end of the first set against Coco? It was coming from mm-hmm. 2-5 down elite 6-5, 30-0. Coco got a bit surprised by a deep return down the middle from... It was Sabalenka and she sort of framed it off her forehand, and then she missed a few more shots. Had a couple other forehand errors later in the game that were costly. And good, after, but but what it also shook, So I was a little, I'm a little critical of Coco for not serving it out, but I'm even more impressed the way Sabalenka uh, maintained her composure and then carried it in, carried it in and through the tiebreak where she played nearly an impeccable tiebreak. And then they go to four all the second, and she she runs it out from there. So I, it was, she's so mature now. You kind of alluded to the key points with her. This is somebody that was completely confounded on her serve and getting the likes of Philippoussis, anybody she could find to try to help her with the serve. She did. She was, she was at a crossroads. She solved that. She barely serves doubles anymore. You said you use the phrase controlled aggression, which is the perfect way to describe her ground game. Because now, you know, she's hitting out freely, making very few errors. There's no reason, Vance, that Sambalenka can't win at least one more major this year. It's mm-hmm. possible too, but I think more likely one. Asking her to win two is asking maybe too much. But I expect her, I guess, based on this form and assuming there's no injuries, given the consistency you alluded to with these last six majors in the semis, I expect her to finish this year ahead of Iga at, at number one in the world.
0: Yeah, it's a strange one because Iga is so consistent at tour level, and that's yeah. she has the edge over Arena you know, when it comes to getting the near number one, like we saw last year. But Sabalenka in these majors, like every single one, semis are are higher, and it just seems like the 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 reliability is is greater with her right now than Iga, who is you know still still susceptible to those early round major defeats. Yes, but he wins. It's a good point
1: about week in week out with Iga. It's true. But conversely, if Sabaleka does pull off another major and then maybe she's in the mm-hmm. finals and semis of the other two or two, you know, something along those lines, which is very likely, she's going to have a lot of points just from that alone. And as long as she can turn in some pretty decent performances elsewhere, shoot, it went right down to the wire last year, let's face it. And mm-hmm. then the year end championships, and she loses to her there. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was hanging in the balance. So I, I kind of give her the slight edge uh, this year, given that she's now. Won her second straight Australian says so she's feeling that was such validation, Bodge, to get this title and win her second major. And it means she's almost certainly one day gonna end up in the Hall of Fame. And I, I can't imagine. Never mind this year for a few more years. She's gonna she's gonna be she's gonna have a bunch of major titles in her collection. And it's impressive to see it because she was so frantic is the word I always think of with her. You just felt like she could implode at any time in her matches and the serve was such a serious issue with her. And then when that would happen, it would carry over into her ground game. You know, it's understandable. It would be sort of a domino effect. But that's that's gone now. That's totally gone. The stability. Now, I never thought I would use that word, but I see a lot of stability in Sabalenka right now.
0: I mean, she had over 470 serves, Steve, in this, in this entire tournament. And she had 10 double faults. Yeah. Well, there's, there you go. Seven matches. So that's an average of barely over
1: one double a match. I mean, that was inconceivable a couple of years ago. She should be very proud of it uh, because she's not babying the second serve either, by the way. She knows she's, she's, it's not that easily attackable. It maybe isn't the best second serve in the world, but it's decent. So to, to, to serve so few, I mean, and, and that's just, and that's, I don't see that changing. I just don't see it changing. I think she's, she's, conquered it now to the point where she can count on it and and then that allows her to operate with a lot more freedom and, and in a more relaxed manner from the baseline. And then she's got she just has off both wings, she's just devastatingly potent and and now purposeful. Not just potent, but purposeful.
0: Yeah, I mean then these rivalries with Coco and Iga especially are going to be so so much fun to watch. As we are going to play many more times this year and we're going to see some of the best.
1: Yeah, and by the way, Gavaj, I, I, Coco should not be discouraged. Uh, she had, she didn't play her best this tournament, but she's in the semis. She's had it. She felt she she actually said that she thought she played better against Savalenka here than she did at the U.S. Open. And so I feel like she she again can come away with a feeling of like, look, I'm going to have my I'm going to I'm going to get a major this year somewhere. And actually, I think Coco has. Will be very competitive at Roland Garris, where she's been in the final before, and uh, she's very comfortable on the clay. She's got a shot there. She's got a shot anywhere. So I, I, I feel like I'm. I'm glad she didn't go out early. I'm glad she didn't lose that nerve wracking quarterfinal, and she, she, she takes her place in the semis and loses to the woman who right now, who right now, is the best woman player in the world. Forget the rankings. Right now, she's the best.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then of course Junction Wynn did a great job taking advantage of, you know, that top half of the draw and really uh taking care of the pressure that was on her, you know, once Rabakina lost, Sriantek lost, um, Pagula lost, Androsava lost. So it was good to see that sort of level of consistency payoff for Junction Wynn because she's a real talent, obviously the service, the double edged sword with her because she's got she 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 hits that you know, she has that little bit of a hitch in her service motion and she hits a lot of aces, but also a lot of doubles. And she's clearly very, very talented, works extremely hard. And like since Wimbledon, all of her losses have been like Sabalenka, Rebokina, Iga. So just shows you that level of consistency. And she didn't face anyone in the top 50. And perhaps maybe this came ahead of schedule for her. This is kind of like, you know, Goff getting to the 2022 French Open final for me. So I think I think we we might we'll see the best of her in a year or two from now. But this was this was a really good first step. And she did get yeah. The first I, I'm not sure
1: she's going headed for the same territory as golf, but and maybe so. But you're right; it's a very. It, she took full advantage of a wide open draw. I, I frankly think we get a little too much of that in the women's game. I'd like to see the the top ones be a bit more reliable. But what I think will happen the rest of this year is we know that Iga is thoroughly professional, she'll bounce back from this. She'll have a great chance to win again at Roland Garros. We know that Sabalenka is going to be in the thick of it in all the majors, and I expect Coco to be right in there in all the remaining majors too. So I've, I'm a feeling those three. will keep out. And It isn't to say that Rab- Rabakanan and, and others won't have their say, but I believe that that Sabalenka, Sabalenka Coco, and Iga, you know, or I should say Sabalenka. Iga and Coco, maybe in that order, they, they will be the hierarchy of the women's game, and they, they, they'll come away with the biggest prize because I still think before this year is out, I guess if I had to call it now, I'd say Sabaleka gets another, Coco gets one, and Iga gets one. And that's how the four majors are divided.
0: Yeah, and for Ega, it's also going to be Roland Garros' uh, Clay Olympics, so she's got that as well, and yeah. So there's going to be some pressure on her to win both those tournaments and try to do a little bit better at Wimbledon and our run to me, you know, obviously one of the, the memorable standout matches against Danielle Collins in the second round, but to me it was similar to Wimbledon and said she had that standout match where she got out of jail against Bencic and then you know, we thought that would carry her maybe to a, her first Wimbledon title and then here I thought she would go much deeper after Rubakina lost us to ping allows. I was surprised to see her go out to to Noshkova in the fashion that she did from a set up, but you know, I'm sure she'll bounce back from it. And it was... Oh, she will. Yeah. She will.
1: She will. I have no doubt.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and so it was overall a pretty good tournament on the men's and women's side. And I, I think it sets us up really nicely for, for the rest of the year and the sunshine swing and the clay season after that. And yeah, a lot of great a lot of great highlights. And like you said, 35 five-set matches on the men's side, you know, tied with 83 US Open. So yeah, I think we'll be looking back at this one very fondly in the coming years. And
1: then a lot, and there were an awful lot of really high quality five set matches among that th- uh, 35. So that's what made it so compelling and so enjoyable to watch. And yeah. Again, the rest of the men's year is going to be fascinating as well because Sinner is, is he's, he's taken a load off his shoulders now because people have been expecting things from him for really, really going back to 2020. And excuse me, now he's arrived and Carlos is determined to get back and Novak is not going to take that one blow. and Allow people to write him off because he's still highly motivated. So uh, I, I and and then, then there's Daniel, of course, who's maybe the most fascinating member of that force, and to see what he can do. So I I, I think we're we're in for a tremendous year among the men as well.
0: Yeah, totally agree, Stephen. We're in for a tremendous year of an, more podcasts and recaps. So <laughs> okay, you
1: got it. I, I, I'm I'm here.
0: Yeah, for sure, Steve. Uh, and uh, yeah, to all of our listeners, yeah, be sure to check this out on YouTube as well as on, on the podcast platforms and Apple and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. And yeah, thank you so much, Steve, for for all your time and yeah, pretty thorough recap and conversation. Thanks,
1: Vance. Enjoy, enjoy doing it and look forward to post-Paris. Uh,
0: post yep. Same here as well, Steve. Take care.